0: Hey there, and welcome to Watering Seeds, a podcast ministry of Covenant Reformed Presbyterian Church here in Asheville, North Carolina. On this podcast, we seek to discuss and apply our recent sermons. You can hear those, of course, here in person. You can go to our church website, listen to them there, or you can go to sermonaudio.com and search Covenant Reformed Asheville. My name is Sean McCann. I'm here with another pastor at our church, Jim Curtis, and we have the joy today to discuss some sermons that have been preached recently. Welcome aboard, Jim. This is just so backwards. It's so
1: backwards. I love it. It's just so unique. You don't love it. It's killing you. It's No, it is. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to hear, you know, different ways to introduce things. I think variety is the spice of life and and I'm enjoying it.
0: Listeners, he may be mocking me right now. I'm
1: absolutely not mocking you. If I were, I'd own up to it,
0: but I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not. So, different host today cuz we're doing something a little different. We Bonus are. Episodes yep. of seeds, as we affectionately call it. Yeah. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the book Hosea. Mm. Uh, For many of our members, you would know that in the month of February, we began an evening sermon series in uh, the book of Hosea. Uh, Right now, it's one of those weeks uh, that we don't have a sermon in the evening, and so we're kind of taking a moment here to reflect back uh, on where we've been. So we've preached three sermons in Hosea, chapter one, what are we, halfway through chapter two? Yep. Does that sound right? Yep. Uh, and so we want to just take this podcast, talk about it. Uh, so Jim's answering questions because uh, with this series, he's actually the one that's done uh, most of the legwork and setting it up, themes, titles, outlining it, things like that. So some softball questions for you, Jim. Here we go. Here we go. Why in the world are we preaching through Hosea? Uh, short answer, because it's in the Bible. And preach thaw. the word of God.
1: Uh, non-cheesy answer. Uh, I uh, addressed this in a, a salt shaker article that uh, I wrote um, in our sacred desk portion. Uh, so if you want to hear more on that, um, uh, you can find our salt shaker on our website. If you didn't get a copy, or you can contact the office and we'll get you one. But in that article, we um, or I, I explain uh, I, I thought Hosea was a great pick for Covenant Reformed because uh, uh, first reason it's super familiar. I mean, uh, probably aside from Jonah, it's the most well-known prophecy in. The the minor prophets. Why is that? Got to be Gomer, right? It's got to be the unique position of the the prophet's marriage in the prophecy and in the life of Hosea.
0: Is it? Uh, isn't it uh, Francine Rivers? Yeah, okay. I, re- I mentioned her in the article. Actually, you did. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, redeeming big love. Francine Rivers fan here. I love my biblical romantic novels. Yes, very uh, good. load them up for me for my birthday this year. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely will. <laughs> Not
1: really, uh, but <laughs> she takes a little uh, uh, artistic license with the
0: history. But this one bit, was a big one: redeeming, redeeming love. love that's okay. right. Yeah. Anyway, in my Christian background, uh, that book was not big for me. Sorry for those that might have been, but I was aware of it. It was in sort yeah. of oh, my God. orbit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, all the girls in
1: my youth group were reading it at one point. I mean, it was a big, it was a big, big deal
0: when I was younger. Cut you off, number one. Jose is familiar.
1: Yeah, super familiar. Uh, to a lot of our people, but I think it's just the first few chapters that are familiar and that's the second point and that is That uh, the the overall prophecy of Hosea is is much deeper and richer than just his marriage and in fact the uh, in the grand scheme of the book His family life is a small blip. I mean, it's it's the the like we don't even know so many of the details We think we should know. Um, I brought this out in my my opening sermon uh, in the book uh, uh, through chapter one, uh, and that was the 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 idea that ambiguity plays a huge role in the prophecy, uh, and 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 we're going to see a deeper, richer meaning of that. But one of the the ambiguities immediately is whether or not the the daughter, the second child, and the last son, the third child, are even Hosea's.
0: Before you answer that, yeah, go ahead. Can can I take one step back? to ask a big exegetical question here is, is this even a real marriage? Yeah, that's a good question. And then, because I want to hear your answer about the kids. Yeah, but yeah. first, and maybe explain what some of the different views are. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's so there's a,
1: a variety of views on the historicity. So is this even a historical thing, or is this sort of just made up? Um, and then uh, there are a variety of views on Gomer herself. So I'll, I'll go through both of those just really quickly. The two views are, yes, it's historical. Well, actually, there's three views. Yes, it's historical. Yes, some of it's historical. And uh, then, of course, no, it's not historical. And there's actually several minor prophets that sort of suffer from this. Jonah, interestingly, is one of them, uh, where um, uh, some people think uh, that Jonah wasn't actually historically accurate, that it was just a story that was made up about a prophet. Jonah takes that on and then uses that to, to preach in Nineveh. Um, even the book of Job actually takes this. There's a a, a a prevailing theme that Job may actually have been sort of like an ancient play, um, and uh, of course, you know, um, we don't believe that. We believe that if it's historical. Job was an actual guy, uh, and what actually happened to him actually happened to him um, for real, redemptive historical purposes. We think the same thing of Hosea. I take that view, of course. That, that yes, this is a historical situation. Hosea really did exist. And he spoke in the midst of real historical things that happened in the life of the people of Israel. And the reason I think that is because the Bible tells me that. Um, The first few verses of Hosea, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Biri. So there's some historical data points, right? This is a real person. Here's his dad's name. This is a common way of of, uh, introducing that in the the ancient Near East. In the days of Uzziah, uh, Jotham Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So now we've got a time frame set within the historical context of the Bible. We believe that 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles are history, of course. Uh, And uh, then, of course, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. But the second reason I think it's historical is because it's talking about a real historical event, the exile. Uh, It's prophesying that. So a lot of people who don't believe, um, as we would in miracles and in prophecy and those sorts of things, of course, date Hosea after the exile, because they don't think that you can accurately predict something like the exile. Um, and they date it afterwards as sort of this drama, right? That's their view is it's, it's this drama that plays out to sort of explain in religious terms why the exile would have happened. Uh, and of course, um, that understanding just comes from an unbelieving perspective. Uh, there are unbelieving presuppositions that, that underlie that. Yeah. When you approach the Word of God, um, uh, particularly the Old Testament prophets, with the understanding that God is who he says he is, that prophecy is real, that miracles do happen, that God does interact with us in the world, and that he's given us an accurate record uh, as we believe, then it it's not really sort of controversial in our circles to say Hosea is historical. Um, is that is that enough academics? I mean, people could probably tell. Like, I, I sat in a library for a few days and read a lot of books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's awesome. So much of it is background.
0: So I know yeah. we like to be able to share the background. Yeah, 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 that's right. So, just to put a fine point on it, did Moses? Did Hosea really marry a woman who yeah. was unfaithful? Yeah, so that's the the
1: second sort of uh, controversy about the historical nature of the book. And and here you're going to find a wider variety of views within our circles. Um, uh, So there's sort of the classic view that Gomer is a prostitute um, before they get married. And so Gomer has already been having uh, a a life of licentiousness um, uh, and adultery, even though she's not married yet. Um, And... uh, that Hosea goes in eyes wide open. He goes out and finds a prostitute and marries her. There's another view that uh, Gomer's infidelity doesn't happen until after they get married, that that um, Hosea is uh, called to marry, uh, as it says uh, there in, in verse 2 of chapter 1, go t- take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. Um, really hard, obviously, to receive as a prophet, but there are some who take that to mean uh, that Hosea goes out and... Marries a woman who's not yet uh, adulterous because to do so would actually be immoral. Uh, It it was against the law uh, in Deuteronomy uh, for uh, adulterous, um, excuse me, people to marry adulterous women, um, uh, particularly prostitutes. Uh, We actually see people put to death uh, in the wilderness because uh, uh, of uh, um, even marital unions with prostitutes. So uh, the the issue um, there becomes, you know, there's, there seems to be a tension. God's calling him to do something immoral? That can't be right. Um, so that's understandable. And then there's the view, of course, that, that Gomer is not um, physically adulterous, but that she doesn't worship God, that she worships the false gods of the people around her, uh, or people around Israel. Uh, and, and that one, I think, has the, uh, of all of the views that believe in a historical Gomer, that's the one that I find to be the, the least compelling. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not just because of the the wording of the book and yada, yada. But um, I think it's a backwards reading, if that makes sense. They're taking the prophecies about Israel and reading that back into Hosea's marriage. When in reality, I think the book is intended for us to see Hosea's marriage and then apply that to Israel's situation. Does yeah. that make sense? That makes total sense. Yeah. So um, if you had to press me, actually, I, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, between the f- the first two views that I gave you, but I do know. Oh, and there's one last view, and um, uh, that's that she was a uh, uh, what's called a cultic prostitute, a prostitute at a temple, uh, a fertility temple or something like that for bail. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and let me let me amend what I said earlier. I think that's the one with the least amount of support. That's the super 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 minority view. Um, because there's no mention of that at yeah. all in the details and the that.
0: Book. would be a pretty radical command right. for Jose. Exactly. Yeah. I mean that's
1: that's sort of the, the, the opposite end of that pendulum yeah. uh, of you know, God's not commanding him to do something immoral immediately, but to stay with a woman who's adulterous is another matter. Yeah. That swings it the other way and says, go grab like the worst of the worst of the worst. Um and again, I don't I don't I don't see any reason to take that from the book. So again, if you pressed me, I, I would land probably somewhere between she was already um, uh, a prostitute uh, or uh, I could see you know the infidelity comes after they get married yeah yeah but i, sort it, of I mean bounce back and forth it's great know, so. i
0: think when academic study supports the uh, ordinary reading that our yeah, members are going right. to have with hosea we got yeah. a real guy we got a real time period and a real place we have a real woman Although we're unclear about her when she was unfaithful. But we
1: know that she was sexually unfaithful. Yeah. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah. A real unfaithfulness. And then finally, where we began real children. Yes. So real
1: children, that's right. Um, the names of course have prophetic meaning and a lot of people have problems with, you know, people uh, named Jezreel, um, which would sort of be like naming your kid Raleigh. Um, you know, uh, after the city of Raleigh, North Carolina, or something like that. Um, actually, it'd be, it'd be more like naming your kid Blue Ridge, because um, uh, Jezreel was a valley. Uh, mm-hmm. And who would uh, name kid like, Raleigh?
0: I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, I'm from Durham. Gotta and go to Durham, right? Just so people know, it's not Raleigh-Durham. There is an Ooh. airport between Raleigh and Durham. It's Durham-Raleigh? It's to or you. Uh, no, it's just, I never went to Raleigh growing up. let go to Raleigh. Come on.
1: That's a great question. That's a great yeah, question. Bull City is where it's at. I've only ever been to Durham out of the two, so. Uh, Chapel Hill?
0: No, good.
1: Oh, I was downtown are... Durham. Love it. Yeah. So anyway, the um, so the kids, uh, you know, the names throw people off because it's not normal to name them that. But that's the point of the prophecy. I mean, when you, when you do the digging into it, yet the names are supposed to grab your attention. The names are supposed to to snag you. But then to 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 sort of say that the kids aren't real, it it goes too far because all throughout the rest of the scripture, I mean, Abraham was renamed from Abram. Uh, uh, Jacob was named Israel, and even Esau and Jacob, uh, right? Their original, their birth names uh, signified prophetic meaning, right? Um, And so again, it just depends on if you approach the Bible with sort of these core uh, uh, beliefs uh, that, that God is who he says he is, and he is being honest with us in the scriptures, or that God's probably not real, and this is all sort of just made up. Nonsense. And if you come at it from that last perspective, of course you're going to say, well, these kids aren't really true and real. But if you believe that God's actually going to exile those people because they broke a covenant, then the kids are real. The kids' names are real. And it is really uncomfortable. And it's supposed to be.
0: Now, most of our hearers who... Attend evening worship, or thinking, okay, thanks, guys. 10 minutes on things like I already believed. Yeah, right. Why do you that's think right. I'm at a, right. this church yeah, at yeah, an evening yeah. worship service? Yeah. So let's jump in a little behind the scenes here. Yeah. Um, you spent time outlining this. Mm-hmm. Uh, word on the street is I made you give me all the good passages. <laughs> oh, I'd no. like for you to publicly deny that I, right now. I publicly deny Okay. I publicly deny uh, As you're outlining the book, as you're putting together the series, what are you most worried about? Like not verses oh, you're afraid of. I just mean when we're thinking about preaching a book, even a book as positive as Matthew, I mean I'm worried yeah. that I'm not going to convey certain things. Yeah, I'm going to anyway, and then I'm going to my follow up is after a month, have those things come true? Yeah, <laughs> Are yeah. You still wor- worried? not sinful worry, whatever. So
1: I'll answer the the first question in two ways. The first way is what was I most worried about before we started the series? It was the word whoredom. I mean it was it was just the whole sort of. Yeah, I, I got had a
0: clicker. I was counting how many times yes. you said it in the sermon. <laughs>
1: That's right. My my wife let me know. Don't worry. Uh, the um, but it's just the uncomfortableness of prostitute, adultery. Some of these words are just really uncomfortable to say with kids in the room. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're honest, maybe um, even as a man, yeah, it's absolutely, a little bit more awkward to say. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I would say then. Um, at now, I think what I'm most afraid of is is just fumbling these judgment oracles. Um, and and not adequately uh, preaching Christ uh, from them. I you know a lot of these are going to be really brutal, really brutal, and I I want to preach that from the perspective of or from the vantage point of the resurrection has already happened. Um, but I you can't do that completely. You still have to you know really explain and express like the 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 original hearers of this prophecy. Didn't have it from the vantage point on the other side of the resurrection. So we need to really deal with God's judgment. We need to really deal with His His covenantal uh, uh, wrath against those who not just never entered into a covenant with Him, but those who were in covenant with Him and then broke away
0: from Him. So help us understand. So help us understand the judgment oracles in particular, in the one hand of balancing that with the sovereignty of God in yeah. the other. I mean, not not in not in redemptive history of why covenant people went astray. I'm, I'm thinking yeah. of Prophecy comes to pass, and we trust prophecy to come to pass, and right. yet it seems to be some of the judgment oracles are phrased in such a way that there's a possibility they don't come to pass. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Help great us think about question. balancing the sovereignty of God with that.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So um, this is pretty regular throughout the rest of the scriptures as well. Uh, one of the most famous examples is, um, is when uh, Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, he sees what's going on. Right. In that with, with the golden calf, right. Aaron's made the golden calf and Moses comes back down. He's furious Well, in, in that whole story surrounding the golden calf. God actually says, I'm done with them. Like already I'm done with them. <clears throat> um, and I'm going to I'm going to take you, Moses. I'm going to make I'm going to make my own covenant people. And Moses, before he comes down the mountain, he's like, no, 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 no. And he's acting as a covenantal mediator or intercessor. Right. He's interceding on behalf of the people. And what I love most about that story is like Moses is like the most pro-Israel guy at the top of the mountain, gets to the bottom of the mountain and loses his mind on these people. Um, And I just, I love that story because it really shows the humanity of Moses. But in that we see God is prophesying against Israel to Moses. He's giving him a prophecy. He's saying, I'm going to destroy them. And Moses intercedes and says, no, 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 no. I, I, you know, you can't do that. what would it look like? What would the nations think? Your name would not be glorified, etc cetera, etc. Cetera. What would glorify you is repentance. So let's go get repentance. And Moses comes down the mountain and he gets repentance. He gets the people to repent. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, uh, then we see something similar in the prophecy of Jonah, right? three days. And Nineveh shall be destroyed, or is forty days? I can't remember. Forty days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. That's what it is, because uh, uh, it takes him three days to preach that all the way through Nineveh. And then Nineveh repents, and it's not destroyed. That's the whole point, right? So, so oracle, um, uh, sorry, yeah, oracles of judgment or prophecies of judgment. Uh, that's all an oracle is, right? Is is just a prophecy. Uh, what they're designed to do is to induce repentance. And so they assume repentance isn't going to happen, and they tell you, so here's what's going to play out, right? Um, maybe a, a, a slightly more negative example of this from the scriptures is um, uh, the child that David has with Bathsheba. After the child dies, David washes himself and gets ready and blah, blah, blah. And we went through this in our Second Samuel series. And uh, you remember the, the servants are like, wait, what do you do? You have this backwards. Like he was alive, and you were mourning. Now he's dead and you're fine. What's? Why did you do that? And you remember David's response is, well, who knows? Who knows what the Lord would have done? Um, That's that's sort of the, the question I think we need to ask about the judgment oracles. Is, yeah, God is not lying to us. And God will do a lot of the judgment oracles. But not all the way in Hosea. But he's, he's telling them the most destructive. Like, if you do nothing, here's what's going to happen to you. And in doing so, God is actually inviting repentance. Let me say one quick word, too. That God is not trying to um, sort of scare people out of the exile. I think, um, you know, we can probably think of evangelism in those terms, trying to scare people into heaven is sort of how I've heard it before. Um, When we speak about hell, we're doing something similar, right? That uh, people are going to go to hell. People are going to experience the full wrath of God because of their sin, and telling them that while we evangelize to them isn't scaring them into heaven. And it's not guaranteeing. it. It's doing what the prophet Hosea did. It's telling them that if you don't turn away, if you don't, you know, uh, 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 turn away from your sins, this is what's going to happen to you. So uh, the example is just from the sermon uh, I just preached, Hosea 2, to Plead with your mother, plead with her uh, that she put away. Um, that she put away this adultery, that she put away what she's doing, that she put away her unfaithfulness. lest that's verse three, and in the sermon I just mentioned, that's the most important word, that if she turns away, the rest of the passage doesn't have to happen.
0: But if she doesn't, it will. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, it definitely makes yeah. sense. And I think it puts us in a, it really helps us as we think about evangelism and preaching and that what the, the loving thing for Hosea to do is to warn his wife with exactly grave right. and serious work. and the loving thing for it would be unloving for Hosea to say, yeah, whatever, just go to everyone, Gomer. Yeah. And just as it would be unloving for us to not aim to tell our loved ones, our neighbors about where they're headed. Yeah. If lest they change yeah, and repent. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's a, that's a really helpful thing. Cause this type of thing is, is phrases hate speech or judgmental. Right. And, and it, it's, it's of course, we can say these words in incredibly harsh ways, but they, they do come from a judgment. I, I'm sorry, they come from a loving place. Yeah, that's right. Not, not a place of judgment. A lot of
1: people just struggle with the fact that, that it actually is incredibly gracious of God to tell us that we're, what we're doing is wrong. Right. Um, <clears throat> people don't really think of it in those terms because they're convicted. Uh, and that conviction is good, even leads to repentance, of course. Um, but the fact that God sent Nathan to David after his sin with Bathsheba to say, you are the man. Uh, to sort of trap David in his own judgment and words, uh, was incredibly good of God to do. Incredibly good of God to do. Um, and and uh, even from your passage, from Matthew, just recently, Matthew 16, uh, it, it's hard to imagine, but Jesus looking at Peter and saying, get away from me, Satan, uh, was actually a really loving thing of Jesus to do, to reveal sort of the, the, the um, can I say it this way, the, the depth of the issue with Peter's thinking I mean that that was not just a small mistake Peter made that was a vital misunderstanding of Christ's mission and and he called it out in a very harsh way you know from from the the third parties but if I'm Peter man hey Lord thank you for rebuking me that harshly yeah. because yeah. that was such a, a wrong thing for me to say
0: yeah well I think you're off to a great start. Uh, I know you're worried, and I didn't get an oracle passage. I got oracle of yeah. You're you're getting some good ones Uh, up front, but you are
1: gonna you're gonna end up with some some rough oracles of judgment later on. Well,
0: talk me about talk to me about then as you're as you're spending a couple days at the library, you're diving in. Yeah, like what are you getting juiced up about? Like, man, I can't wait to preach Hosea.
1: Why? So again, I'll answer the same way. Um, Initially chapter 3 chapter 3 is is hosea's you know recovery of gomer we won't mention the fact that you're planning to preach chapter 3 but uh <laughs> you know that's sort of what everybody's juiced up for initially but then again you get past their relationship and you start seeing god's deep love for his bride you see the, the issues of course of sin you see all these different things but we're going to we're going to come across what i think are some of the most incredibly comforting and loving words that scripture has to offer. Um, And God's putting it in terms of his relationship with his people. And all of that is, I think, going to provide an incredible depth to our understanding of who Jesus is and why he did what he did. That why God would send his only son for a bride to redeem her. Uh, And, and, and so it's not sort of this perfunctory, I've got to go do this in order for people to be in heaven. But rather, Jesus shows up and lives a hard life, gets beaten and put to death because he genuinely loves us. And one of my favorite expressions I've ever heard about God's love for for his people will probably come up numerous times in this series, uh, but is is from St. Augustine, who says that God loves us as deeply uh, as if there were only one of us. And so, you know, a lot of people are like, well, there's going to be a billion people in heaven. Like, praise God for that. God doesn't love m- some of them more, right? Or in, in deeper ways, sort of, you're, a, you're off in the fringe, but God's got an inner circle. St. Augustine really cuts through it and says, no, 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 God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. And I love that.
0: That's really good. Yeah. We, had, we had some friends and they had uh, one child. And they were asked often why they only have one, which I think is an unfair question. That is an unfair somebody. question, yeah. Uh, but their response uh, was always something to the effect of, because I don't have enough love to give to someone else. Mm. And we spent a lot of time with these people, and we have four children. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, do you think my kids only get 25% of my love? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, or
1: really, it's more like, you know, Lucy gets 80% because she was <laughs> first. <laughs> stop, you know, no, stop, of course it's not. Stop. I just had a second daughter, and it's incre- Like, I was genuinely worried about that. And the Lord's just like, like sort of slapping me around right now, like you're kind of foolish to think that. yeah 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 you know uh, uh, but that's that is uh, that's a great illustration of
0: that. So so it's safe to say some of your excitement and worry were sort of the two sides of this these just two these yeah. oracles are going back and forth, these yeah. oracles of judgment, yeah, yeah, yeah. these oracles of mercy. But and I think blessing.
1: I think uh, one of the, the the aspects of the book that I'm most excited to show is the twists and the turns between those two. Um, so much so that, uh, uh, they didn't even know we were preaching Hosea next, but in Sunday school, I mentioned it. Um, so I'm curious if anybody's going to pick up on it, uh, in this series, but it's that, that, uh, there's really no structure to this book. Like it's really hard. Like I could, I mean, I could tell you what chapter chapters about, right. But I can't really sort of outline it in this logical way. Like we do most other books. And the, the reason is because it's such an emotional wreck of a book and the, the, um, the love of God that's on display through those transitions, where He's like, you know, it's sort of like the 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 um, person sitting in the flower field pl- plucking petals off. Loves of me, the, loves me the, not. He loves me, He loves me not. God's sort of like, I'm really mad at you, but I love you so much. But I'm really mad at you. And He's just going back and forth, and and that's part of the. Uh, I want to be careful with this word. That's all part of the the good drama of the book that's supposed to evoke our emotions. I don't use the word drama there to mean non-historical. I just mean it's supposed to do something to our emotions. It's not just a, a mental thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh,
0: all right. So we've talked principles for exegesis. Yeah. Some of these main ideas. Let's let's spend the rest of the uh, time we have talking application. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Who are we in Hosea? Yeah. Good question. Now, I'm a pretty good guy. So I think I'm like Hosea, right? Yeah. Um, this
1: is always a, a fun question in the Old Testament. That I'll start with a quick story. Uh, um, Some guy in one of my Old Testament classes was asking a question. I don't even remember the question. I don't even remember. All I know is that we were talking about Elijah. And the only thing I remember from that instant is my Old Testament professor, who you had him. He was pretty blunt, right? He just looks at the class and says, it would be a monumental mistake for you to assume that you were the prophet of God. And that was his answer to the question. That's great. And so I think th- there is a tendency we have to read stories, to read history, to read the scriptures and sort of wonder, where am I? And that's a good impulse. The The bad part of that question is when you put yourself as the prophet of God, uh, when you make yourself Elijah. When in reality, most of us, if not all of us, are Israel. Uh, we're We're the unfaithful ones. We're the ones... Who are going on? So um, it's a little easier. I think it's easier in in sort of First and Second Kings with Elijah and Elisha to say that that um, you know Christians hearing those books preached easy to say you're the remnant of Israel, where you're still struggling with the old you, and you're you're sort of tempted by these old or th- these other gods, but you're trying to be faithful. Um, in Hosea, it's really hard because the whole nation is just bad. I mean, the whole nation's getting judged. And so, you know, Gomer, so the, 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 sort of the logic of the book is Hosea represents God in the relationship with Gomer who represents Israel, right? And and so uh, the, who are we as we read the book? We're not Hosea. God, Hosea is God in that relationship. So if anyone's out there thinking I'm Hosea, no, 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 no. You're Israel. You might be the remnant in Israel that we don't even really hear about much, but... <clears throat> Uh, uh, but just let me read from Hosea 11. This is sort of the climax of the book. So you're Israel. A lot of people hearing that may not like that, but he, listen to this. This is 11.1. Uh, 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egy- Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the baals and burning offering offerings to, the, to idols yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk Ephraim there is just a, another word for Israel uh, I took them up by their arms but they did not know that I healed them I led them with cords of kindness with the bands of love which is where we get our series title and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws and I bent down to them and fed them there's a lot of imagery there but man that's some of the sweetest words that you could even hear and he goes through that, you know, uh, verse 8. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? I mean, God's love in chapter 11 alone, but we're going to see it in many other places in the book. Like, don't let it discourage you that you're Israel because that's what God thinks of Israel. That's why he
0: sends Hosea. And ultimately, that's why he sends Jesus. Yeah, that's so good. That Man, I'm, I'm preaching 11, right? Uh, I think we're going to split it. Oh, we okay, okay. Uh, so... I think that's really good. That's really helpful. So the situate us historically though, because yep. the biggest lest for that's right. the covenant community, particularly the Northern kingdom yep. was the exile. Yeah. All right. So what does that have to do with me? Yeah. As a member of the covenant community of God today, whether right. I'm a remnant or not, so right, I'm a member right, right. Of the public covenant community. Yeah. Do I have an exile coming? Do we have right. an exile threatened?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great question. So, um, uh, let me answer a little academia and then I'll jump into that. The little academia about the exile is that the exile worked. Uh, the pe- people of God come back, Nehemiah, Ezra, right? We know that story. They come back and <clears throat> we actually see in the New Testament the results of the exile. Everyone's terrified of idolatry. I mean, it really does wash sort of the, the false worship of false gods out of Israel. What it doesn't do... Is cleanse the heart, right? So Jesus is battling with the Pharisees and ultimately saying, "You think you are worshiping God, but you're you're actually not." So now Jesus is sort of not dealing with idolatry so much, in in the sense of the idolatry of Hosea, but the idolatry of self, the idolatry of, of of works righteousness, the idolatry uh, of the false worship of the true God. Right? Does that make sense? Oh yeah. So I think that's helpful for for just understanding the rest of the Bible. I think Hosea is going to help us understand. Uh, uh, that that uh, the exile is not sort of God's plan B. It's not sort of like this really, um, I mean, it's harsh, but it's not overly harsh. It's not unfairly harsh or anything like that. The exile accomplishes what God wants it to accomplish. Um, God's not just sort of giving them over to the wolves and blah, blah, blah. Uh, we went through Esther, for example. Um, we saw how God viewed the people of Israel in the book of Esther by redeeming them. Right by making sure that that they weren't destroyed by Haman, so um, uh, I just want to say that so that we understand uh, uh, the applications of idolatry. The Bible doesn't like any type of idolatry, the literal bowing down to idols, nor the internal issues of putting ourselves or something else in God's place. And so I think for us we need to come to Hosea with this understanding that that idolatry really is far more destructive than we ever give it credit for. Uh, and that that we are not exempt today from idolatry just because we don't have an idol in our sanctuary, right? You might have an idol at your house. You don't even realize you can be worshiping it. So I think that's, that's one big key. The, the other key is um, I think, uh, as always, when we come to the scriptures, we actually need to first understand that the Bible is most primarily telling us something about who God is. And so um, not only is Hosea going to deal with our idols, Hosea is also going to tell us uh, what exactly or who exactly it is that we're giving up for those idols. And Hosea is going to show us it's not even worth it. It's not worth it, y'all. And and so in in exploring the excellencies of God and his love for us, I think that's going to draw us deeper. uh, uh, It draws closer to Christ. Which, of course, is what all of Scripture is supposed to do: is draw us closer to Christ, to encourage us in Christ. So, ultimately, by the end of the book, what do I hope people uh, walk away with? How do I hope people live their lives? I hope people live their lives with an understanding, uh, a greater understanding of the greatness of God. And I mean that greatness in the sense of like magnificence, but I also mean that greatness in terms of I can't live my life without Him. Right? I mean, we've all seen a marriage that we think is good where two people are just so overly smitten with each other, usually newlyweds, right? (laughs) But they're smitten with each other and so on and so on. But then you get like that old couple, right, who can't, they can't walk without the walker. And, and, you know, she kisses him and he laughs at her jokes and we're just like, dude, that's what I want, right? All of that, I think, is actually telling us something Mm -hmm. uh, uh, about what Hosea is really telling us. That's the greatness of God I hope we walk away with, that that's what we want in our relationship with him is that, that maybe the newness, the freshness has washed off for some people. Maybe people have never known a day that they don't confess Christ. Uh, but Jesus is far greater of a beloved than we give him credit for. Yeah, I love um, the idea of so,
0: God revealing himself Yeah, to his characteristics, uh, his, uh, his love, his affection. His yeah, it's this, it's this his comparison,
1: people. right? It's like, really, y'all went after that?
0: You know, like, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Really? Uh and, and I love that because again this is sort of said in in the context of the of the romance, yeah, of the marriage relationship. So far,
0: so how how can our people who listen get the most out of this these Hosea's? Like I mean if you you know I'm thinking about if I'm if I'm coaching a team and I'm thinking the kids who are going to have this attitude when they come to practice, they're going to grow the most this yeah. season, whatever. So obviously big picture, you know, we have some traits we would love our members to approach the preached word with. Is there anything particular as people are going to sit through four or five more months of Hosea, yeah. that they really want to get the most out of this series.
1: Yeah, the I think the I would say this about any book, but particular particularly Hosea. Um, be patient. Be really patient. Let save sort of your your your. Um, I want to say this gently. Save your your more pointed opinions for the end of the book. Let's get through the whole story, right? <clears throat> we had a professor in seminary who didn't allow us to ask questions during his lectures because he was like, most of your questions are going to get answered in my lecture, so let me finish, and then I will have a question time at the end. That's what I want people to do. I want let us get through Hosea. Let the let the word wash over you. Let the whole picture uh, 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 captivate you um, before you know you you start beating yourself up. Before you start being overly harsh with yourself, before you start thinking I de- I don't deserve God's love, before any of those views creep into your mind, let's get through the book, and then we'll take questions. Right, quote unquote, at the at the end. That's what that's what I'm hoping people will, will come to, because I think it was exemplified in our first two sermons. Actually, the first sermon was really hard. Um, it ended with and you are not my people, and I am not I am to you. It's a full revocation, right, of the the, the Mosaic covenant promise to his people and then immediately you pick it up and it's like well actually i am gonna have mercy on you and i'm gonna you know so just stick with us that that's what i'd ask our folks just stick with us let's get through the whole thing and i th- i think the full picture by the by the end of it of the book uh, is going to address a lot of your hurts a lot a lot of your hurts but it's also going to address a lot of the, the ways in which you feel inadequate and it's going to address your deepest fears can god really love me um and I'll give you a spoiler the answer is yes. um uh, but I think you know it's that, a so. good
0: spoiler alert. That's yeah. one of those good spoiler alerts. Hey, I think we're running out of time. Do you have anything else you want to you want to plug in the Prophet Hosea before we close?
1: Uh no. Uh so long as you're patient with us. I yeah, <laughs> just return to that. I mean, um let me make uh, I'll say this. Let me make one one minor pitch. Um if you're listening to our podcast and you don't currently come to our evening service, we'd love to have you. Uh, we we don't think that the morning service uh, and the morning sermons are sort of like the the sort of A team and the evening sermons and services is a B team, right? We we think that this is a, a truly a one-two punch on the Lord's day. And so uh, I think the, the message of Hosea, the book of Hosea, is incredibly enriching. And so if you find yourself you know, in in dark places of doubt, if you find yourself in dark places of anxiety over your relationship with God, come come listen to Hosea, come come let it the prophecies of Hosea in full, come let those speak to your soul about how God views you. Yeah,
0: that's really good. I think there's something uh, there's something in the the rhythm of a day that Hosea it sort of fits kind of the closing of a Sabbath. Yeah, I mean, I remember preaching a couple weeks ago. Of course, I had a very affirming passage, <laughs> but it was just. It was a beautiful way to end a day of rest. Yeah. Sort of this rest, this affirmation, this assurance. Uh, Jim, you have you have really gotten us on a great start with this book. I love Did it. You. I love your outline. I love uh, how you have uh, laid out the major themes of the book. Uh, your first sermon introduction on the color of orange <laughs> is worth the price of the entire series oh boy so go listen to that first three minutes uh thanks for being on it thanks for switching mics with me yeah absolutely i know you're gonna take the keys back next week but i've enjoyed you letting me drive for a couple minutes absolutely man and uh yeah we'll see y'all next week see you then thanks so much